Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Exodus. Beginning with Luke chapter 4, reading from verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And now Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, 15 through 17. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again, church, and welcome back to our series, Preparing the Way celebrating the victory of Christ. Now, I shared with you last week that this series was born out of a shocking discovery, that victory was one of the most misunderstood theological concepts of our faith. And so we've spent the last few weeks unpacking its meaning so that come Easter Sunday morning, We know what we are preaching and praying or singing all about. Now, we've covered a lot of ground over this series. We've talked about victory over fear, victory over failure, victory over exclusion. And today, we unpack victory over injustice. Now, I have to tell you that when I first started conceiving of this series, the topic of victory over injustice was the first to spring to mind. And I'd like to think that it's because I am so theologically profound or morally grounded that this topic was top of mind. But that wouldn't be the truth. The truth is, justice was at the top of my list because justice is at the top of Jesus' list. And we know that justice is important to Jesus because when he introduces himself to the community of faith in the Gospel of Luke, he does it by putting justice first. Think of it this way. How many of you are on social media? Got a Facebook profile, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, something, right? So when you set up your social media profile, you had to share information about who you are, and what you like to do. Now just imagine for a moment that Jesus was filling out his social media profile. And his hobbies might include something like an adventure seeker who sleeps in boats during life-threatening storms. Or, Or how about
life of the party, who changes water into wine. I'm sure you'd get a lot of friend requests. <laughs> or maybe, maybe budget event planner, who can feed thousands with just two fish and five loaves. But you see, if we keep scrolling on the profile of Jesus, we'd come to his about me, which would read like Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Now, this isn't a unique statement. It only builds on what God has been talking about for centuries. In fact, if we were to move back several hundred years to the book of Micah, we'd read this. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? If we were to amble over to the book of Amos, we'd read this. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes. Sorry, David. I'm sick of your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy music. God is not talking about this choir, however. <laughs> Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. And finally, if we were to park in the book of Psalms, we read, The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. You see, whether it is the New or Old Testament, prophets or Psalms, Gospels or Epistles, God always calls for people who care about justice, who serve the poor, who advocate for the oppressed, and who provide for the foreigner. And yet despite the fact that justice is at the tippy top of God's priority list, it often falls straight to the bottom of ours. In fact, Lifeway Research, who has analyzed over 91,000 sermons given across our country, has found that justice as a Sunday morning sermon topic doesn't even crack the top 20 list of most common sermon themes. And with these kind of statistics, we can't help but wonder, how is it? that justice is something that God can't stop talking about. But we, we don't like talking about it all. Well, you may have your reasons, but I've noticed after serving in four different congregations in three different states that there are really just two. And the first is that deep down, we don't believe that victory over injustice is really possible. 
Sure, we, we can get with victory over failure. We can imagine victory over fear. We can even accept victory over exclusion. But injustice? Now that's a different story. After all, we, we know our history. And we can read the headlines. We see the seemingly intractable challenges of ageism, sexism, racism, xenophobia, ableism, gender discrimination, just to name a few. We see systems that make resources available for some and hard to reach for others. We see laws that protect some groups and make others more vulnerable. We see wars that we didn't choose to wage, histories that we didn't start, and yet we don't know how to stop repeating them. Injustice seems like an ever-present and formidable force that we could never defeat. And if it's not our skepticism about the possibility of victory over injustice, it's our concern over the cost. Remember, injustice harms the oppressed, the poor, the blind, and the imprisoned, but it also creates a risk for those who seek to disrupt it. After all, Jesus wasn't killed in a state and religiously sanctioned execution for jaywalking, but for seeking justice for challenging the hypocrisy of the religious and political people in power. And so with these dynamics at play, we preach about love, we preach about grace, we preach about peace, but justice? Justice falls to the bottom of the list. And yet I would submit to you today that though it might be risky, though it might feel like a fixed fight, we can seek victory over injustice. We can move boldly into Christ's mission because two women in the book of Exodus show us how it's done. Remember, alongside our New Testament scripture this morning, we heard the brief synopsis of two Hebrew midwives named Shipra and Pua. Shipra and Pua were summoned to the court of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who had unmatched military might, a booming economy, and state-of-the-art engineering powered by Hebrew slave labor. When Pharaoh said jump, people didn't ask how high. They just started jumping. And so when he plotted to limit the growth of the Hebrew population through genocide, he expected unwavering obedience. After all, Shipper and Pua are not activists. They're not revolutionaries. They're just two ordinary people. People without power. People who should have been afraid. People who should have felt like many of us do. Small and insignificant in the face of power and injustice. They should have looked at Pharaoh in, in all of his royal splendor and then looked at themselves in all of their weakness. 
They should have melted in fear, been overcome by their inadequacy, and done exactly what they were told. After all, the the penalty for disobedience was certain and painful death. But for some reason, Pastor Warren, despite all of the odds stacked against them, these two ordinary women refused to carry out this plot. And we can't help but wonder why. What gave them the strength to take such a risk? to fight a fight against injustice that they would almost certainly lose? Well, the answer has nothing to do with them, but everything to do with God. For we learn in Exodus chapter 1, verses 11, that Shipra and Pua feared God. And that term fear is better translated as to know or to revere. And so perhaps the first lesson we learn in pursuing victory over injustice is that knowing who God is changes the way we see the Pharaoh in front of us. Let me say that again. Knowing who God is changes the way that we see the Pharaoh in front of us. Now, sure, they knew all about Pharaoh, his power, his might, his palaces, and his pyramids. But that's not all they knew. They knew about a God who would speak and darkness became light. They knew about a God who was big enough to create the universe and small enough to number the hairs on our heads. They knew a God of unmatched power, unparalleled provision, and incapable of being defeated by any force in heaven or on earth. And because they know the person of God, they were not afraid to pursue victory over injustice. Because they're assured that nothing, nothing is more powerful than the Lord. And so, my brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning, do you know who they knew? Do you know a God who is more powerful than any policy, practice, or plot designed to oppress the vulnerable? Do you know a God who is more capable than any foe or pharaoh who seeks power through violence and fear? Do you know a God who is bigger, stronger, and greater than any weapon formed against us, even injustice? Because if we really knew, if we knew like they knew, then we wouldn't shy away from the challenge of injustice. We would face those challenges with the assurance of who God is. And what would it look like? If we pursued victory over injustice with the same faith and assurance that Shipra and Pua had, what would it look like in our schools, in our church, in our country, in our community, if we knew who they knew? Because you see, so often we tell God how big, how bad, and how unjust the world is. 
But we fail to tell the world how big, how bad, and how powerful our justice-seeking God is. In fact, turn to your neighbor and ask them, who do you know? That was not rhetorical. Who do you know? (laughs) Shipra and Pua pursued victory over injustice simply because they knew the Lord. But there's another reason why. They pursued justice because they knew they had a partner. You see, challenges can seem insurmountable when we think that we're taking them on by ourselves. But God places people in our lives who partner with us in the work of justice. And Shifra could stand before Pharaoh because she knew that Pua would be right there. Pua could stand before Pharaoh because she knew that Shifra would be by her side. And these ordinary women were empowered to seek victory over injustice because God gave them a partner who would not let them fight alone. Now, just in case you're having trouble relating because you haven't been called to the royal court by a murderous pharaoh, allow me to share a chapter from the scripture of my own life. You see, when I was in third or fourth grade, Julia, I faced my own pharaoh, an eighth grader named Shauna Davis, who was holding court in the back of the school bus. Now, Shauna Davis was as mean as they come. She was five feet, 11 inches tall. She towered over all of the younger kids and she even frightened some of our teachers. She would order this kid to take that kid's lunch and bring it back to her. She would order this kid to make fun of that kid until somebody started crying. Or she would send them off on some other mean-spirited mission. Now, I tried. I tried to keep my head down to to sit towards the front of the bus and avoid Shauna Davis. Until one day, all the seats in the front were filled. And I had to make my way to the back of the bus and sit next to the big and bad, mean and mighty Shauna Davis. Now, Shauna could probably smell the fear that was pouring out of my uniform. And like all predators, she began to pounce. She pointed to what looked like a kindergartner and said, I want you to go over there and take her lunch and you bring it back here to me. Now, I I hesitated because I knew it was wrong to take somebody else's lunch, but what could I do against Shauna Davis? But then, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed my big brother getting on the bus. I noticed my big brother walking down the aisle. And all of a sudden, my, my back started to straighten up. My my palms became a little bit less sweaty and my voice got a lot louder and I turned to Shauna Davis and I shouted, no. Because you see, 
When I saw him, I was emboldened to act courageously because I knew I'm not alone. You might be able to beat me up, but you can't take two of us. And that's a word for somebody here today. You can seek victory over injustice because you are not alone either. You have the body of Christ, partners in purpose, who will journey with you in the justice-seeking work of Jesus. You have partners right here, like the United Women in Faith, whose mission and outreach fight for the well-being of women and children all around the world. You have partners like Teeter Farm that fights to close the gap of food insecurity all across Hamilton County. You have partners like the Noblesville Diversity Coalition, founded by some members of our church, who fight for a safe and equitable Noblesville for all. You see, we can face the pharaohs of injustice in royal courts or in the back of the bus or wherever they might be because we don't do it alone. And so we can seek victory over injustice today because we know who God is. Because we know that we don't do this work all by ourselves. But finally, because the risk of doing nothing is greater than the risk of doing something. At the outset of our message, I shared that very few preachers are preaching on justice. And so very few churches pursue justice ministries because of the risk that it imposes, the risk of rejection, the risk of critique. In fact, I even felt risky preparing for this message today because there's nothing that incites more discomfort or distaste than when people think a pastor is dabbling with social justice or politics. But here, Here's why I will preach on justice today and every day that the Spirit leads me to do so. Here's why I will seek victory over injustice even when it's not popular or appreciated. Because the risk of disappointing people pales in comparison to the risk of disappointing God. Sure, I, I want to be liked. I, I, I want I, and I care what people think about me. But what I care most about is what God thinks about me. What God thinks about you. What God thinks about our church and what God thinks about our priorities. And for me, the risk of not walking in the justice-seeking footsteps of Jesus is greater than the risk of those who might walk away. Because you see, when I get to heaven, I haven't yet booked my flight. It is on standby, however. But when I get to heaven, I know God will say, Nicole, 
You have not done everything that I asked you to. You missed that. You failed at this. You really blew this one. But when it came to what was most important to me, to speaking for the oppressed, to advocating for the poor, to seeking victory over injustice, you made it most important to you. I hope, I pray, that's what God will say to me. But not just to me, to all of us. And so it is my prayer today that each of us would boldly seek victory over injustice because we know the power and the person of our God. Because we know that we don't do this work alone. But most of all, because we know the reward of pleasing God is far more valuable than the reward of pleasing people. May we boldly follow Jesus in victory over injustice.